1993, Final Approach changed the way we hunt waterfowl. Now, over 25 years later, we're back at it. My name's Mario, host of the FA Podcast. Let's talk waterfowl tips, tricks, tactics, and more. It's all going down right here with the Final Approach Podcast. What a Final Approach. It's Mario with uh, all the FA Carvers. Uh, we're, we're, we're minus Jamie Welsh. She's down in South Carolina. Uh, couldn't make it on the trip, so we got Wayne Simkin from Canada, uh, Pat Gone in the middle from Canada, and uh, from Nebraska, not originally, but just moved Tom Christie. So uh, 25 world championships sitting here, world decoy carving championships. And uh, the thing we wanted to talk about, you know, we're, we're going to do a few of these, but uh, we're going to go technical, let's kind of say, and we're going to talk about you know the tools you guys use we're going to talk wood we're going to talk all carve everything carving so we'll talk about okay. you know uh wood and and tools and techniques and and we'll explain different techniques so maybe somebody does want to you know get into it or you know talk about you know where they can find information and and books that you you two guys have done and uh videos and all kind of other stuff so um so maybe let's start real real basic um let's start wood Everybody uses Tupelo. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe so. Uh, and best wood, Pat. Well, we're 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 making our birds for competition, and Tupelo is for sure the best. Okay. If we're if I was going to make a, a rig of hunting decoys, yeah, I'd probably use cedar. White cedar okay. is yeah. undoubtedly the best. Okay. Yeah, and you, you and there's other variations of wood you can use for the heads, even a cedar decoy. But okay, cedar cedar is a lot of the old decoys. Uh, and the antique decoys were made of cedar. A lot of high-density cork, too, for, oh, yeah. for oh, yeah, bodies on gunning sure, decoys. Sure. Yeah. Wait, are we are we doing the white cedar because of the way it's kind of uh, going to hold up in the water or the weight? Or why are we? Why well, would you guys pick something well, like it, that? It's weight. Like it's very light wood, but still okay. some of the old traditional decoys were still quite hollow. Okay. Um, it's a very resilient wood to, to rot. Okay, so that's really the basic, the, probably the main, right, yeah. Pat? The, yeah, yeah. There's a chemical in cedar that um, prevents it from deteriorating uh, and rotting. There you go. Uh, unlike some other ones, like basswood will rot very quickly. Correct. If it's exposed to, to, to the to elements. The yes, right. and, this, and Tupelo is the same thing. Um, but when we do our competition decoys, we protect them really well. So they, Absolutely. Yeah, so they, you know, they could last... It should last hundreds of years if they're taken, taken care, care of. of. Um, let me let me ask this, uh, not to and 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 as we go through this whole thing, like if there's like secrets, like you don't want to give up, like I get it. Uh, but uh, as far as like okay, getting wood, is there a lot of places to find the tupelo or to find uh, the the cedar and stuff like that? Like, is it easily available? Not easily. No, I, I mean especially for like I living in uh, Ontario and I mean the, the actual access to it is pretty limited like okay. I'll pick it up when I go down to the shows in the southern states I and that gotcha. type of thing uh, Pat who has some very good contacts in Louisiana right yeah the, Tupelo grows in um, in the water cypress swamps in the s southern US and in North Carolina and the Carolinas sure uh, so it's um, uh, grows in very specific areas and it, it's not a wood you're gonna find in the north Correct. Uh, so we have to rely on people that make the effort to harvest the wood in those those areas. 
Yeah, it's a type of wood too that is just specific to carvings. Like there's, I don't know of any other real uses commercial for it, right? Right, use for right, it. Right. Well, and, and, it, and it's getting uh, pricier because it's sure. getting hard to get. And I don't know how it compares with cedar. I'm assuming cedar is a lot more cost effective if you're uh, going to make a bunch of de working decoys. Oh, oh uh, price wise, undoubtedly, yeah, 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 undoubtedly. Yeah, okay. And okay. now the thing with cedar too. Um, you may have to end up hollowing those decoys, whereas with her... Because of the weight? Yeah, whereas okay. with... And the same with bass would be with Tupelo. If you get good Tupelo, uh, it's it's plenty light for the, for anything you make to be buoyant uh, enough to float really right. well. Right, that makes sense. And, and, and like uh, Tom said, the cork, like, I mean, there's been cork gunners forever. Oh, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. that's a really good material, and it floats yeah. well. It's, you know, it's a little heavy, but, right. again, you just design it... And do you, I don't. I don't necessarily think you have to. Do you have to seal the cork? Yeah, uh, you should. You yeah. should. Yeah. But I mean, there's probably been a bunch it, that have been done that were I mean, never sealed. Thing yeah. float, floats like a cork. Right. I mean, it's yeah. right. It's yeah. it's legit. But so. I think for somebody starting off too, doing their own decoys, cork is a great thing because it's very easy to carve. Right. You don't need high speed grinders or anything. You can do it with a file and sandpaper, and right. it, it doesn't cut well with a knife. Easiest to use. Yeah. Right. It's kind of dusty and messy right. but it's it's pretty easy to carve yeah. yeah like some of the first decoys i did was out of black cork okay and it's really messy like it's you come out and you're just covered, covered. in those black bitties <laughs> yeah. but uh, some of the natural cork that you can get then it's it's ground up and compressed into a block well, that and the first you know like listen uh, uh using some of the stuff that i use which is is not so much wood as far as like more so on a on a chemical based side and and resins and stuff like that you know the first thing i thought of when you guys were talking like you said it was pretty dusty and then you said you're covered with it like i always think like safety like you got to have some air filtration you have to have a mask if you don't have great like like if you're just starting and doing stuff like you really especially if you're young and you're going to do this for a while like you literally need to be careful yeah. in what you're doing absolutely even just sawdust and everything else i mean yeah. you know that's something that you know maybe you know, goes by the wayside a bunch, but you know. Well, there's some some woods not only physically can harm you, but there's some of them are carcinogenic too. And some types of woods. Cedar's one of them. Yeah, cedar, yeah, is, cedar is not good to breathe. No. Right, right. Especially so, if you're grinding, right. you generate a lot of fine dust. Yes, and, correct. And you really need to protect yourself. And there's your a ton lungs. of there's I mean there's a ton of stuff if you get on any of the carving sites or websites or or any of those kind of businesses. I mean, you could find all those air filtration systems or if you need to think like you make your own or whatever or wear a mask and and, and there's just certain things you got to do so that, that just i didn't want to go off off topic but yeah. that just made no, me yeah. think of that when you guys it's were important. talking about that i mean with the natural cork like if you're using uh, a file or sandpaper sure. you're not really making uh fine particles that are going to be floating around but you should still be wearing we're all used to wearing masks over the last couple of years <laughs> true, true so even just a mask like that is uh is going to help you yeah 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 you know and and glasses if you're you know safety glasses if you're really hogging big pieces of wood on the you know say the fordham or you're using the dremel or you're putting something pretty well probably not the dremel but the fordham if you're really you know chopping some some big wood you want to have a good apron and keep your sleeves and your shirt away from the <laughs> rotary grinding <laughs> you, know, you know do me do me a favor everybody go like this yeah still got him. go ahead pat <laughs> Like, this is a big deal because, no kidding, uh, everybody has all their fingers. Yeah. Great. My first carving tool set, 
okay, you'll get a kick out of this because you guys will you get this. But I got my first like five piece set of hand tools in a little box, and my buddy Don Guthrie got it for me, and he wrapped it up and he gave me like one of those one of those boxes, and there was like a box of like. 5,000 band-aids and he's like here you go <laughs> essential equipment right yeah. here watch us say don't let him focus in I'm sure we've all got a few scars on our hands oh yeah but, oh yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying I just wanted to make sure everybody has yeah, all no close-up shots yeah, yeah no this there's listen there's no hand models in this bunch <laughs> I, I cut myself more when I'm chopping something in the kitchen anywhere really else. a little cut there because well, you're not paying attention Ooh. probably and you're just going oh my god i got god. that from a uh, little cut from skinning a deer there a few oh weeks ago wow <laughs> so uh okay so we got wood um maybe let's talk I, I guess the next thing would be to talk uh you know hand tools versus power tools and 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 what you guys use so we'll kind of go down the the line and we can start with wayne like um and you could talk about your progression because you know you do you you scale you big big and go down to fine 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 so maybe go through what you start with and then finish with maybe what when i first started with the carving or what i'm using just now. all the tools just you know kind of go through like are you a, are you a power tool guy at the start to get are you a big you know i, I forget what the that draw knife the draw mm -hmm. knife yeah, yeah like where where are you starting actually well i used to start right with the with the big fordham with the big tungsten bit and I've recently acquired a horse where I can sort of clamp the piece down right. and I can hog off a lot of wood with a draw knife. Yeah. And that's really, and it's, it's cleaner. So I'm not filling my shop up with dust and, and it, and it take, and it's pretty even like when you're coming with the draw, the draw knife is big and wide and you yeah. can kind of get, yeah, yeah. Just to hog off, off just, just kind of get the general round shape of the right, bird. And, right. And that you just got to be careful with the grain Tupelo. Um, you've got to, it's, very forgiving for going against the grain where basswood and cedar is not right um, so i can kind of work against the grain a little bit but you still got to be mindful you want to be with the grain all the time if you can on yeah. on just about all the woods yeah okay yeah. so you're going to start with the draw knife and then and then are you going to switch to a power tool then yeah or a then fordham? i'll go to the high speed uh, like a, a fordham sure with a with a large carbide cuts all on it that right. really and you're peeling off a lot of wood at a time right making a lot of dust so you should be wearing a mask at that and time some filtration right yeah and then you'll just go finer bits on the fordham yeah and then just keep going. And then just keep going. Then I've got a, a Geschwein, which is a, a yep. high speed, about a 50,000 RPM, I believe, yep. there. Yep, I know that one. And just kind of work my way down with that. And, you know, to a progression of, you know, diamond bits, ruby bits. Sure. Cross-cut steel cutters sure. and, and that type of thing. And yeah. then finally sandpaper, which is not my favorite part of the, the process, but it's... <laughs> it's, a, it's a must. It's a necessary evil. evil. Yeah. Right. right. Pat, okay, well, what about you? Are you... How are you starting and then yeah, going I've through and finishing? Not too dissimilar from what how Wayne works. Uh, okay. I learned to carve way back in the 70s, all with hand tools. There's no power tools involved other than my burning tips, which uh, right. you know we used to put in the finest detail. And um, so I'll probably bring it a little bit further than Wayne with my hand tools. I'll. Uh, I use the draw knife to, to basically shape the roundness of the bird. Then I'll work the major feather groups in with various size gouges. Um, and uh, again, one of the advantages of that is you don't, you get nice wood chips coming away, right. no dust. Right. 
with the uh, hand tools, right? Yeah, with the gouges and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost right. um, it's something. Even though I at some point I'm using power tools, I I haven't given up those original techniques, and uh, it's uh, there's almost something therapeutic in seeing those little uh, pieces come off. The, yeah, pieces of wood coming off the wo- uh, off the block and. Yeah, and, I get and, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's how I, you know, I learned to carve from the very beginning. Right. And of course, as you progress through the carving process, you're going with more refined tools. Right. Until you're down to with the decorative birds, uh, uh, creating uh, feather barb texture with either either a stone or, or burning, burning tool. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's uh, and. Almost, I, I would think most carvers are using some like a combination. So yeah, some variety of those techniques sure. in the end uh, uh, to to create their birds. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, the the big thing for me is, especially when it comes down to laying out feathers, it's the I'm always visualizing it as a composition. I'm composing feathers to make them look good now you could randomly put feathers on and they'd probably be accurate but i like to compose them so that they look good so your eye kind of flows through the surface when you look at the finished bird makes sense yeah that's a that's that's always a priority for me and at a certain point in the carving Okay. Tom, anything? I mean, just to add what you do, if it's different or similar, yep. just kind of give it, walk us through you. you. Very similar. Um, when I started carving, I was carving my own hunting decoys, and that was primarily hand tools uh, because I was doing it in my basement, and I couldn't afford to generate a lot of dust. So just hogging off a lot of wood with, with sharp hand tools was good. I do want to give a pitch, too, for a, a good bandsaw. Um, before you start carving, most people need a good deep-throated bandsaw, like 12 to 14 inches sure. throat on it so that you can get a block of Tupelo or whatever you're... Through uh, it and get your pattern yeah, kind of started or your a little, well, a little bit of a shape of like not just a square block or a rectangle. Right. right. Just do a side profile and then a profile down, a couple of cuts, and you've taken off a lot of wood, then you can start hacking on it yeah because that would i mean without the bandsaw and and you know you you'd have to really go to town on some yeah i I have (laughs) used a hatchet uh, and uh, some people do that um but normally i'm bandsawing first and then like on a big goose i used a hatchet to hog off wood i know i have a picture of you sending me (laughs) the hatchet with the live honkers yeah i remember that i was like it gave me new appreciation for those (laughs) <laughs> people that use a hatchet to carve you do that for about a minute and your wrist is ready to to go limp but but it, it is an effective way to get a lot of the corners off of the band sawed block and then i like these guys i moved to grinding uh later and with better dust control so i've got really good dust control i wear a respirator uh, when i grind along with the dust collection equipment sure. Sure. And I use a Fordham and a Guess Wine for the detail work. Yeah, I mean, those are probably the two most popular. I don't want to say, like, nobody uses a Dremel, but that Guess Wine is, like, that's, like, top. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's, like, And when somebody's first starting tool. out, I mean, a Guess Wine is it's a pretty significant outlay of cash. Right. And so I think you'd want to make sure that, that you're in it. You're in it, yeah. 
Yeah. And I still use the little marathon model of, and it's it's pretty cost effective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's, <clears throat> depending on your budget, there's definitely something right. out there. But I I would say don't you know don't get you know something really cheap. No. If you're going to do it for a little yeah. bit, because yeah. it's going to just crap out on yeah. you. It, it's gonna. And if you do get something decent and you decide that this isn't uh, the direction I want to go, it's pretty easy to, to find somebody that would pick that up off Correct, mm. correct. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, in terms of, of bits and stuff over the years, I've probably accumulated, I don't know how many thousands of dollars worth of bits, and I probably use a couple of hundred dollars worth of them. Right. But it just, I go to the show. you got to have I, the tools. I find something that's, oh, I can't live without this. Oh, yeah. Kind of like I didn't know it gloves. existed before I saw it. <laughs> so... Um, and then, and and so here's one of the things we need to uh, do as well. So if we're talking about uh, different styles of decoys, decorative, uh, and a couple, and we'll go through a couple of the different, uh, let's say, versions or categories. I don't know what what really to say there, but uh, would it change how you start? It would change obviously how you finish, but does does anything change how you start? Let's let's ask Tom. We'll start with Tom. Does it change like if you're doing something decorative versus a gun? Like does it does it change at the start or just at the finish on tools? It it doesn't change at the start for me because you start with a pattern and right. developing a good uh, pattern for your bird using references online, photographs, whatever right. you can get your hands on to right. do an accurate profile of the bird you're trying to carve. Because right. a lot of people rush through the pattern development and go right to the carving and then end up wondering why this doesn't look like a mallard you have you know, to have a done. good base to start so you got to start pattern, there a good idea and then uh, depending on the the nature of the carving there may be different things you want to a gunning decoy you want it less detail right less susceptible to water damage right. banging around in the boat or the sack more durable right yeah you have to pay more attention to durability right and uh, decorative carvings, Pat is really, uh, and Wayne are more expertise on that. They can talk about. Yeah, well, then, let the, uh, so Pat, so tell me, uh, we're going to talk about, like, okay, explain a gunning decoy versus a decorative. Like, gunning, yeah. you're just going to have, like, not as much detail. You're going to paint the detail in? Yeah. Or, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. There's less detail. Um, and y your, your objective is quite different, of course. Um, right. You're you're simplifying things, you're making things less fragile on a on a gunning decoy. That's a so huge you, point. Yeah, right. you don't want them to. It can't. You know, break. If you're making a you're making a real hunting decoy that you're going to hunt with, yeah, it's got to be really durable. Yeah, there can't be wingtips coming off the back, no. or if you make a sprig, you know that sprig better be. Yeah. And you want a paint job that you're going to be able to touch up quickly. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, comparing that to the decorative birds. There's really no limit to how fine you can go with those. Yeah, you could go all the way down to, like we were talking, Wayne, about having a burning tool and burning in your feathers, yes. like going that deep. Yeah, the, the the extremity, there's no limit. Uh, the bills are have the most intricate detail on them. Uh, the feathers, you know, we undercut feathers, we lift feathers, sometimes we insert feathers. Right. And it, the fragility isn't isn't a factor um, because these are uh, they're showbirds. I mean, yeah, they're showbirds, and in competition, they go. They're judged 
the the uh, criteria is to is to represent the live bird right at, at you know the most extreme level right right and uh, and then the one thing that that I do not everybody does this but uh, when I'm preparing doing the preparation for a decorative decoy almost always I'll model it in clay ahead of time gotcha. and so I've got a it's like an artist doing a painting they'll do a maybe a, a quick pencil sketch to get the sure. work out the design sure, of, sure. of the painting well I do the same thing in three dimensions with clay so I work out the design the detail doesn't matter uh, it's it's just the uh, the animation in the bird uh, some areas you know if you have wing exposed you'll you'll sculpt that in the clay then that gives you um, uh, a, a really, really good guide when you start say, working yeah. in wood. Wood is unforgiving, whereas clay, clay you, you can just you can put add some more, more on, yeah. take some off, like exactly. super easy. Like you can't do yeah. that with yeah. wood. Yeah. 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 Right. I always know if I'm if I'm pleased with the model that I make in clay, I'll be definitely pleased in wood because it'll just get better. Well, and then like you said, like say the mistakes. Like if you if you're running into a certain area of feathers and you figure something out while you're doing the clay and you mess it up and you got to do it a different way like you'll know to do that at the wood before you get there that's right you know what i mean so that i mean yep. that's a great idea yeah. but like yep. of course you're putting more you're putting more time into that into the clay right but yep. that's going to save you in the long run yeah you know just like when tom's doing right. his sketches and he does super detailed sketches yep. like that's his guideline yep. you know just like you're doing clay like that's, that's right. his uh, like, hey, if I do it on paper and I know where I'm going and I sketch the feathers in, I got a better template and I sh it should be a little, I don't want to say faster or easier, but you it can is. follow way better. And it's yeah. more forgiving. If I gouge a little too much wood out, a little Bondo on a gunning decoy isn't going to hurt anything. Right. You can't do that on de a decorative no, no. decoy. You can't make those that. kind of errors. Uh, the, the thing about the clay, too, is um, I'll, I work quite quickly with the clay so it's sure. it's quite spontaneous sometimes there's a looseness there that I really like sure and that transfers to the wood mm -hmm. so uh, that's a, that's a big a big advantage too um, and that's that's what you want in a decorative decoy to, at a high level you want oh, that yeah. nice loose live looking bird that uh, that you can uh, you can duplicate initially in, or create right. initially in clay right so Wayne, let's talk about this. I'll throw it to you. Uh, so like, so Pat's doing clay. He's, or, you know, Tom's sketching. You know, we have different ways of getting where we need to get. So, so now we we have a a gunning decoy versus a, a decorative. You know, and my my you could explain this better, but obviously my vision is okay. On the gunning decoy, we're going to you know, I call, you know, do a smoothie, and then we're gonna paint our detail in. Whereas a, a, a decorative, we are gonna carve and burn the feather detail in, and then the paint is going to also just take it to the next level. So is that is that accurate, or can you explain more, you know, on that? Yeah, I mean, when you're doing a, a gunning bird, you're gonna want something that's gonna project well, so you're gonna have some pretty high impact colors, like, you know, on the Canada Goose here. That you know want that nice white rump with the, with the dark head and it creates a lot of contrast right and focus is you know the birds will be drawn that grab their attention and hopefully come into your spread um, you do the same type of thing with with the decorative pieces you want to grab you know the viewer's eye 
but you want to pull them into the piece. And as Pat was saying, you can kind of lay out some feather tracks that are really interesting and, and just further pull your audience into the piece. I mean, then in terms of the, the final detail, like there's some guys that will be burning 80, 100, 120 lines to the inch. Oh, yeah. To get that nice velvety oh, look yeah. on the birds. And, and you're creating feather splits and highlighting quills and with, when you're painting, and, and it's all to accent. Like everything's working together to... To achieve the, yeah. the end result, yeah. you know, and, and you know, you talk about you know our the final approach birds and what you guys have done, and we always have to exaggerate the 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 the, the depth of uh, the carving and the you know burning in, or I shouldn't say burning in, but the stoning in and, and getting the detail, just because we have to convert it, you know, to a mold and pick up all that detail. But on a uh, you know look at pat's wood duck like i'll I'll start there like pat's got all these raised feathers so like our our birds in our line of decoys you know it's almost like a uh it's almost well it's like i would call it a decorative gunning decoy like it's right. best of both worlds because right. you you know we we have to be durable it's going to be made out of plastic so it doesn't break i mean you have tom's pintail you know what i mean like that's flexible but it's not going to break yeah uh, so that's like kind of gunning and kind of decorative, and then you go into the colors or the the detail. And Pat's got feather splits on the on the wood duck, and and Tom's got all the vermiculation on the side. And you know you got legs sticking out. You know what I mean? And 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 big feathers on the side. Like it's a combination of getting the best result we can because we're going to get deep detail as much as we can on the carving and then we're going to really accent the paint to really highlight those areas to make it pop even more. I was going to say that the carving on those is important for these gunning hunting decoys because light plays into the projection from a distance too so being able to see some shadows on feather groups really especially from a distance adds to not just color but also shape and shadow adds to how the bird projects from a distance Mm -hmm. well and we always talk about like okay so you could look at you could look at your you know white patch in the front on the on the pintail right and and then you could look at wayne's rump on the white and even pat's uh rump Mm -hmm. on the wood duck right you know there's no surface area on any of the decoys that has no texture or feather detail because once you have a flat surface that's when you start getting a shine and you don't have that texture you don't get that look so you know i mean those are the details that that we have gone above and beyond and we we talk about those all the time and the little details but but making sure like okay like who the heck's gonna look underneath the wood duck and care you know what i mean or who cares if that has you know if wayne's goose has you know like feather waves as it goes through and then all the the striations of feathers you know carved in well we care because we know that's going to look better when you throw like one color on it yeah it's going to reduce highlight the that. shine out in the marsh right. as well right it's a manufacturing paint job so they're limited in how much detail right. they're going to be able to put right so we got to make sure like it it pops on the the water when a customer gets it and the way it looks and obviously on the hunting scenario you know you're trying to reduce shine because you're trying to you're trying to reduce shine in the spots that you don't that a real bird doesn't have shine and then accent the shine on like say the wood duck head uh where there is iridescent 
Mm-hmm. So, it, well, it's not really a shine there. That it's more of a highlight. Like you don't sure. want that. You don't want that flash. bright shine, yeah. but you have that. And they've really iridescent. captured that well. The, yeah, yeah, you you have that iridescent. So, um, so let's talk about let's talk about paint. So we're you know whether we burn detail in or we uh stoned it in with a, a power tool or whatever so so i'll start with pat so we get to uh well let me ask one question everybody really quick and then i'll go right to pat what col- what kind of paints do you use acrylic acrylic oils okay so let's start with pat and then i want to go to you because i want to hear about the oil so go ahead yeah and um, then you you time chime in tom if there's something you know we'll come yeah, to you yeah. right after on the acrylic since you guys both use it but then i want to listen to wayne yeah of course the uh if you're painting a bird, your primary objective is to duplicate the colors on on the real bird. And that takes a skill in mixing your paints to match colors and also knowing the sequence of application of the paint, too. You can mix a color that looks like uh, the real bird and put it on, and it, uh, it might not look quite right, but if you use a, a series of steps of of overlaying paint you'll get a, a, quite a different effect in the end absolutely so that takes some skill in learning how to paint and how to apply the paint and uh, and then being able to anticipate what's going to happen over um, over those series of steps well and let me let me throw this right at you uh, a base coat you know what I mean if you start with a base color that's going to also change everything you well, know what I mean? Yes. Or if you you know, if you're gonna make your base white or if yeah. it's a hand and you're going tan or some, you know, version of that, like or if Wayne's starting with white or whatever on the goose, like everything comes into play off a of, right off the start immediately. Yeah. Well, uh with the acrylic paints, uh what is underneath the paint that you're putting on has a big impact on the final yes. the final appearance of that color. So and the only way to learn that is to, well, I guess you could learn from somebody that's teaching you. Sure. But also actually doing it and learning what's happening as the paint dries. And, and you're um, layering, and you're, as you layer yeah. it, like you said, in different colors. Yeah, yeah. Now, on my decorative birds, I, I don't only duplicate the, you might say, the pigmentation color of the feathers. Then I bring it to another level. When you look at uh, a lot of feathers on birds are, uh, are translucent. So what you actually see on the real bird, you're actually seeing layers of feathers. Right. So I try to uh, create the illusion that you can see through layers of feathers by creating translucent effects. And that kind of kicks your painting to another level. And then what I also do is... Uh, it's like an artist working in two dimensions on a canvas. They can paint the, the image of an object and make it look three-dimensional right. on a two-dimensional surface. Right. So I do the same thing on my three-dimensional surface by uh, painting the illusion of light hitting the surface. Yeah, because like if you, like say an artist made a painting and put it on the wall, you know, if it was just a flat 2D, you would just look at it and walk right by it or just, you know, but then if you're, you're like you're saying the depth and like looking in, like if somebody had it on the wall and you walked by and you didn't know where you were, you would almost look out and look like you're looking through a window outside yes. and you could see like, 
oh, that tree looks like it's 30 yards away, and yeah. then the bushes is right here, and then there's a deer standing. Well, it feels like it's 10 feet away, and that gives you that reference of depth as you yeah. look through, and that's what you're yeah. talking about with the, those different colors. That, that's right. And that's layers. Right. So um, even though I've carved some of the shapes of those feathers, if you paint it um, very monotone, it, it'll even though you've carved the shape in, sometimes it, it'll, it'll all of a sudden it looks flat. <laughs> but and, you if don't, you, and you don't want that. You no, want to have that no. layer, you know, So what, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll exaggerate the shape with shadow and highlight. And then no matter how, if you're looking at close or far away, you get the feeling of shape and dimension on the surface. Just from paint. Yeah. So that, again, that's, that's bringing the the painting process to another level and in these competitions yeah if you want to excel at the high level you that's the kind of thing you, you got to do, do. That, right? yeah what well, do you want to add anything yeah. on the on the acrylics i would just add some of the advantages of acrylics yeah, and, I, that. and i've done both but i started with acrylics they they have use water as a solvent which i like because i can rinse my paints out in the sink and not sure. worry about uh, you know what's going down the drain they dry faster okay um and i just i've i've used them for 35 years and i've been successful with it so i just kind of stuck with it um you do have to kind of develop blending techniques with acrylics because oils and and wayne will talk about that blend much easier and nicer because the medium stays wet longer. I got gotcha. you. And, uh, and you can really do some cool blending and color combinations with oils, but you can, you can do that with acrylics as well. You just have to learn how to maneuver the paint and, uh, so and it's, it's been great. Let me ask you this before I go to Wayne is like, if, if I'm a, a starting carver or painter, would I want to make it easier on myself and use acrylic or would I want to use oil? Like if I was, well, I'm an acrylic guy, so I would say use acrylic. Okay. Then let's, let's <laughs> but, go to Wayne. But Wayne, I'll well, counter sure. that. And so give me, give me the advantages of like you using oil. And if I was a, you know, say I just wanted to start a gunning, you know, decoy, would I just use an oil or would I use acrylic or what's well, easier? When I first started, I accidentally picked up some oils and hated it and it just the, the drying process was too long i just didn't know how to manage the the paints and then i went to acrylics and i used that acrylics for a long time and i switched over to oils about 12 years ago or so and i i still use the same type of application techniques that i was using with the acrylics but i found with the oils that it gives me more open time like what tom was saying so i can mix Mix, actually mix colors right on the bird. So if you want to create some highlights, you can you know, put a little bit of yellow on, on some green and just kind of scribble that in and it mixes up and gives you... It mixes right on the bird. Exactly. Like not, you don't have to mix here on, on your plates and go. No, no, you can, you can apply it right on the bird. And if you don't like it, you can just kind of keep scrubbing it and it'll fade back into sure. where it was. And So you, it's got some more for, forgiveness almost, right? If you're careful, if, yes. Right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah now I think the biggest thing I tell anybody that's that's getting into oils, you've got to learn when to give up the fight. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to hear more about that because that sounds about something that I that I need to learn. Like, this is when you give up, right? Yeah. No, if, if the color's starting to get muddy on you or just kind of get in the way, put it down because you will not win. So let it, you know. That's good advice. Yeah. Whereas with acrylics, you can just let that set and then you can go right back at it within 10 minutes. And paint over it. Yeah. Right. And with the oils, like most colors, I'll have them. So if I'm painting one night, the next night I can be right back on it again. And I'm okay. painting very thin, especially on like on the decorative pieces. You don't want to fill in your detail or anything. So your your paint application is very thin. And I just, I find the richness of color. Okay. Like the color that I'm mixing on the palette yeah. is the same color that that paint's going to be when it dries. And with the acrylics, I find that sometimes it kind of changes a little bit okay. on me. Okay. And yeah. it doesn't matter if you're using acrylics or oils, use high quality paints and, yeah. and buy the best brushes you can afford. Right. Because that does, yeah. that plays into it and we can talk about that. Yeah. So basically if I was an oil-based painter, I would have a shirt that on the back it would just say no one to give up the fight yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay that makes sense there's one more aspect yeah, of go. oil versus acrylic too there's a there are two schools of thought on durability for like a hunting decoy a lot of people prefer oil okay. based paints because they're very resistant to wear and tear and okay. and water and that but i've seen a lot of great acrylic hunting decoys that uh, as long as you Put them on right and seal them up right. They they last a long time. Well, you, you got to look right. after them. I mean, plain oh, sure. and simple. Sure. Yeah. So give me some. So on the oil base side, uh, I'm not saying uh, you know we're here to promote anything, but okay. So what's a you know we talk about a Fordham and the Guess Wine and and so what's a what's a type of oil base paint that that is say top of the line? Is there a couple that you're yeah. using that yeah, that would kind of help somebody because. You know, listen. You could ask a question online, and and you know, on a on a page, and you're going to get whoever's promoting what. But you guys do this for a living, so you know you've used a bunch of stuff, and you know what's quality. Yeah. Right? So I mean, Windsor Newton is probably the most popular one that's yeah. out there. That's a high used that, That's yep. a high end line. Yep. Uh, Gamblin is another good one. Okay. That I and used. those are all oil. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I've used the Windsor. Yeah, and you'll see some that that are more geared towards students yes and you'll see them at um i don't know if i can mention the name michaels or something like that yeah they, that kind absolutely. of gears towards hobbyists and that. absolutely and yeah. i would say to create really high-end pieces stay away from them because it's you pick up a, a tube of uh, i'm gonna say cadmium red and one tube might be ten dollars and another tube is going to be 35 dollars well that 35 dollar tube is probably going to last you a lifetime and it's, right. and it's so don't I figure be I'm worried worth about that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, Pat. So so give me some give me some acrylic paints, and I'll ask Tom like if he uses something different or or whatever because I've used yeah. both. So I've used the Windsor. I, I'm familiar with that. So yeah, there's a there's a couple different ones that uh, seem to be popular, and uh, one of the key things uh, some acrylic paints when they dry, basically acrylic paint is. Um, the pigment in a medium and the medium is kind of a plastic based medium and some acrylic paints when they dry they they kind of look like a pla they have a pla plastic look to them just that sheen that comes mm -hmm. off them which is not what we want correct 
So we found a, a number of other types of paints. Um, and you that, don't have to give up any secrets, too. I said that before. Nope. So if there's something yeah. that you use that you don't want, I'm serious that you yes, don't want anybody yeah. else to know. I get that. Like you, you, you guys are always in competition. So I'm not looking for you know secrets on I, how you. Yeah. I've I got am. a I've got a notepad yeah. Yeah. <laughs> under I'm the table. Here. Tom, 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 we're, we're recording. I got. Keep it. asking him. We're yeah. recording. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the other thing is um, in different brands of paints the binders that hold the pigment are really important correct if you have weak binders that don't hold the pigment well then that paint's not going to be very durable that's right and again so another the, the thing, higher dollar the better that medium's going to be well or not, would you think not necessarily, not necessarily no okay. not necessarily okay. the, the pricing isn't I would is think the that, biggest no isn't okay. the biggest factor it's okay. It seems like different brands have developed different types of binders. Okay. And, you know, the one that we did a lot of experimentation with it and uh, it became very popular is uh, it's called, it's made by DecoArt, uh, Traditions Acrylics. Yep. Now, that isn't made as a fine art paint, but we found that the binders are really, really incredibly tough and they hold the pigment really well. Um, they also dry very matte, which s simulates the uh, the look of real Very flares. important, right? Yeah, so there's been some with the uh, pandemic. A lot of these paint companies have had problems uh, yeah. uh, producing paints, and I know the uh, that paint line there, there's some colors that are m difficult to get, too. I got you. And I'm not sure what the long-term uh, uh, effects are going to be uh, in in the availability of that paint. But anyway, it's... Uh, you don't want it to fade or change. I mean, you don't want to paint, you know, you don't want to paint a Mallard Drake and then you come back the next morning and it's a common merganser. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, you don't want the color to fade and it's something... Like, you go, yeah. whoa, what is that? Like, so, yeah, you're talking about the mediums and the, and the color and the color fastness, let's say, and, and it's staying. So, yes, you want to yes. have quality. Yes, and the... Um, the the uh, the toughness of the paint, um, right? Especially if you're doing a gunning decoy and you want to use acrylic paints. Oh. Uh, we had one uh, fellow that he runs a actually a supply business and he did a little experiment. He painted a wood duck, a wooden wood duck with this traditions paint, and he left the duck floating in a pond by his house for a whole year. He took that duck out, and of course it had green scum on it. Sure, it had the he scum cleaned, line right on it, right? He cleaned it off and everything, and he said it looked like the day I put it in the water. So that was, you know, he was doing an experiment on his own because he was selling the paint, and he wanted to make sure it was good. It was good. So, okay, yeah. so what, what place is that, if you want to say? Because there, there are some great places and online places that have that knowledge that somebody can go to and yeah. trust. Yeah, well, if, if, if you want to buy... Uh, Supplies to make hunting decoys. Uh, that uh, fellow in Michigan, Willie McDonald. I was just going to say uh, Willie's the, Duck yeah, Blind or whatever, the, right? Yeah, it's yeah. called. His business is called the Duck Blind. You yeah. can find it online, and that's the guy. And he supplies uh, cork. Uh, he has all kinds of different uh, yeah. other materials and things that he sells, and uh, he more more probably oriented towards the people that do gunning decoys. Sure, sure. Yeah. What What about you, Tom? What uh, anything on the acrylic side as far as I, what brand or I use Traditions, but also okay. Josanya is a yeah, brand that I've, uh, that I've had great luck with over many many years, and uh, I use a some airbrush paint called Chroma. Yep. And uh, those mm -hmm. are the ones, that, and then I 
seal the decoys because after all the paints on you seal it with a top secret sealer perfect <laughs> called deft no no called you don't dull, say dull coat yeah and that that has been a great lacquer sealer and then i may touch that up with something to give it a little more sheen because sure. dull coat is pretty flat right it it's is a, flat. it's i normally give them a couple of good coats with that and i've never had a problem with that but i got used to the josanya colors sure. and, and kind of you that. get used yeah. to it over the years yeah and you can get those at any dick yeah. blick yeah. or any of the big i was just gonna art say that's a great stores. that's a great art supply store too the dick blick uh, is there any other places that that you look for stuff or you know so let's let's just talk that really quick like as far as like it doesn't matter if it's paint or carving materials is there anything any place or online or anywhere that you guys have all and we can go right through of of for somebody who wants a carve or who's in it or needs help like is there anything where you would direct them uh willie is good resource there's a company called james company yes j-a-y-m-e-s i think and he's been in it a long time has all kinds of reference materials for people and we're going to talk about that in a minute too any anywhere else or well i was going to mention james company too and years ago there used to be several really dedicated suppliers for decoy carvers but a lot of them have gone by the wayside and uh uh um there's uh well there's the greg durant's company and yeah uh that's another one um Greg Durant, you said. Greg, Greg Durant, okay. yes. Um, M- MDI, are they still? Yeah, MDI, I think they're That's still. another good wood operating. carving company. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And Anything Lane that you. Yeah, there's, well, KV carving supplies out in eastern Canada. Oh, yeah. And um, Razor Tip. Yeah, Razor Tip. Yeah, that's Cam- a Cam- Cam- those are two Canadian yeah. ones. Well, that's cool. Yeah, well, Cam- and that helps Tip. because maybe yeah. sometimes getting stuff over the border or what i mean yes. you know whatever i don't know but yeah that that helps yeah like uh razor tip he's over in uh, saskatchewan oh okay and oh, he's got a cool. complete line he's he's actually uh created his own line of burning tips oh awesome and burners that are really fantastic oh crap i i don't yeah. i don't know that one i actually yeah. might look at that that's cool yeah. and he's got all he where in saskatchewan is he Do saskatoon you know? oh crap we go right through there all the time right. does he have a storefront or is he just yeah. online no no he's got a storefront oh. Yeah. He's kind of back in Sounds like a stop. Sounds like, bro, I'll make sure I write that down. Seriously, (laughs) we go through there all the time to go to Tyler's up at uh, Saskatchewan Goose Company. I'm I'm doing that. Holy crap. But I'd say, too, like, it's go to your local art supplier. Absolutely. Like, when you're you're looking for paints, brushes, that type of thing. Let's let's talk talk, that. Go ahead. Yeah, talk talk to the people there that, I mean, I, the closest one to me was a company called Curry's Art Supply. And I got to know the owner of the store pretty yeah. well, and he was really knowledgeable on, oh, especially when cool. I was getting into the oils and helped me out with the oils and the, and the brushes and that type of thing, and just kind of helped me fine tune my my techniques. And is there so? Let's talk brushes really, really quick, and then I want to hit reference. But but um, brushes is there a is there a brand or or you know I mean you want to get the top brushes, but I I mean I could tell you that I'm probably not as you know versed in what the best brushes are so is there something that you gravitate to and i'll, I'll ask all you guys um uh, well Raphael has a real nice line i don't know how available they are now and then there's um okay uh and but i was using like klinsky brushes and that's for doing fine detail sure, stuff sure. And, and the advantage to them is if you're using like a number four or five klinsky that you can get a real nice load of paint in your brush and go a long time with uh 
with, with painting that. the fine lines. And, that, right. and that's one of the things I found is actually is an advantage with the oils because it doesn't dry quickly. So you can it's always wet on the brush and you can Ex- go further. Exactly. And, right. gotcha. and when you're painting, as, you're, as your brush is running out of paint, it kind of fades a bit and then just kind of pulls out to nothing. Whereas with the acrylics, it just kind of goes and stops. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's like an abrupt stop. Yeah, yeah, and it's I don't know. It might sound kind of trivial, but I found it like really nice that you can just kind of get that nice fade. Of, well, I'm of sure if you were like a pinstriper, you'd want you'd want to go fade to nothing and then come right yeah, back. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you'd want to keep that line going. Yeah. Is there is there some brushes path that you you know obviously not giving up the secret yeah. squirrel brushes, no. but no, no, but there's uh, I I think there's um, it's probably important to talk about the different styles of brushes that sure I go use. for it yeah go for and, it and you know you've got general application of paint maybe over a big area and you can use fairly wide brushes i like the what they call the um uh cat's tongue, cat's tongue. yeah so they're they're kind of almost shaped like a feather on the end yeah so and i'll use you know oh yeah i can apply large volumes of paint over a big area with is it those. more is it more round yes yes like yes. a filbert shape yeah filbert filbert that's okay. the exact one filbert okay. that's okay, called filbert as opposed to a flat which is absolutely straight across the end so, yeah so and then i'll use some smaller synthetic brushes Th- those cats or the filbert ones i use i use uh synthetic brushes gotcha. you know there's no need to use a expensive brush for right. that and the same thing with uh, you have some smaller round brushes for smaller areas to adjust application, and um, and then for blending, I have two different brushes I use for blending. In big areas, if I have a big big blend, I use a, a um, uh, I use a fan blender. Um, and a, a stiff fan blender, and you can really move the paint right. around real easily with right. that. And uh, wet into wet, I'm applying them on and swishing them together them in, right. and blending right. together. Right. And then for smaller, finer blending, um, I use uh, what is known as the Pat Godden Special Blending Brushes. Are you getting this, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got them. He's yeah, got yeah, we all got them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they they would. Uh, I think you've have you used them in oil paints. Yep. Because they they, no, they, I were, would they think work they, great. Yeah. Okay. So, so is it your own? Oil? Is it your line of brushes or like? I or, de- I developed those probably thirty five years time ago. Are you? Do you sell them? I have some, but I now um, I have this. I didn't an, know. So I have another. James company that manufactures them and then I made a deal he can put his my name on it and then I and those I are the brushes well. that you okay so they're like Pat Godden signature series brushes yeah and they're they're short little um, brushes that are real fluffy on the end yeah and they're just stiff enough that you can you can move the paint around gotcha. and they come in different sizes so if you're doing a little tiny songbird and you got a tiny little area that you want to blend you got a you little tiny brush you can or whereas if you have a bigger area, there's a bigger brush that's uh, that For you blending. can you can blend, uh, yeah. Awesome. And and then the the next level of brush is the uh, the Klinsky Sable. Now, when do we say Klinsky, that's not a brand. That's the style that's of hair. That's a style, right? Because every brand of brush will usually have their highest end brushes will be Klinsky Sables, 
and the Klinsky sables are from the um, what is it? Is it the Martin? Uh, what? Yeah, what's actually it's a Euro- it's the, European it's Martin. It's, it's a hair, sable, yeah. right? It's the hair that comes from that particular animal, animal. and the highest end brushes anywhere are the Klinsky sables. And and those of course um, and those will be in different brands. Just that, you can but get that them in different sable brands. Sable is just yeah. the animal. And I I like you know the I I use a lot of the the, the Raphael brushes that Wayne mentioned too. Sure. Uh, you know they're pricey. You can buy tiny little brushes, maybe thirty dollars. <laughs> yeah, but you know how, how many of those brushes you still have, Wayne? Since you bought, like you still have them all, probably. Well, no, probably they am do, close, right? Yeah. They will wear out though. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you know, guys are you, going pretty take, hard on them. Yeah, like. you take care of them as well as you can, but they, right. they still wear. And yeah. and then I'll take those old brushes, and I have other uses for those old, <laughs> worn-out brushes. Well, I they, guarantee it. Well, they become mixing brushes. You know, or something yeah. kind of sure. better or Nothing time. gets wasted, right? No. Yeah. What, and, uh, so what about you, Tom? Is there a... Uh, I'm an advocate for cheap brushes. <laughs> the well, style. Then. Let's hear it. Yeah, the style of painting that I do, there's a golden taclon is the synthetic fiber and you can get them in Craftsmart or Crafter's Choice in your Hobby Lobbies or your Michaels. Yeah. They're very cheap, but the way I paint, I really work a brush hard. Okay. And they're very durable and they're inexpensive. The only exception to that is the, and you can get them in big wide flat shapes or filbert or angles. The exception is the detail brush and I use a I'm still using a synthetic brush as opposed to a Kalinsky. Okay. Less expensive, but they point up nice. Okay. And uh, uh, I think the latest one I'm u- using is a King Art brush. Okay. Uh, is there? Do you do you feel like on that on those line of maybe say inexpensive brushes, are you going through them quicker, uh, or what are you seeing? They last forever. Yeah. yeah. The, the exception is uh, I use a like a one eighth inch chisel shape for a lot of my detailed scrubbing i go through quite a few of those because you're really working them hard yeah i got you but but they last forever um so like i should have did this earlier but okay so we went through all that stuff but at least we're talking about supplies and stuff like that so like so let's take something and go all the way back uh to reference and obviously there's a ton of reference and patterns. We could do this certain section. I, I should have did it earlier, but we're looking at just products and buying stuff and doing whatever. But at the start, you need to start with a pattern and uh, you need to have reference material. So obviously there's a million pictures, whether you take your own uh, and blow some up or look online or there's places where you can buy pictures and buy reference material or buy a pattern you could buy pattern books now there's uh i'll have each one of you guys talk about you know anything like that but there's so uh, and obviously we can't go through all of it because there's so Mm -hmm. much uh, you have pattern books and everybody's got like there's so many things that would just blow your mind but is there any sources or something where where maybe and like i said you don't have to give up your you know your your secrets but is there anything that's helpful there for somebody starting out or guys who and gals who are carving and and maybe this will help them we'll start with you Kyle. yeah uh i use Flickr, google all those picture search engines are great references for p- good profiles i did want to put a little pitch in for my youtube channel i just started this i don't make yeah, any money on about it that. absolutely but um starting to 
do some from beginning to end. Like one of one of the videos is how do you make a pattern? Right. One of the videos is how do you bandsaw? You know, and, and rough out a decoy. So that, that's a good good reference that I'm hoping to build content over time to help people get started that might want to carve right out and that. tips and as you go and stuff like that. I think that's I think that's huge. I mean, before when it was just books. And, you know, the library that you, you guys said you started, you know, grabbed a book out of the library. I mean, there wasn't much. Now there, there seems to be like an overload, but that should help everyone be a little, like, I would say, be a little more efficient on their time. You don't have to scour the world to, to get a, a pattern or, a, a, you know, pictures. Yeah. Right, Pat? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, well, you can, you, you can find images of real exotic birds that... Sure. In some, you know, a long time ago, before the internet, it was almost impossible to find right. images except the odd picture here or there. You can find all kinds of great stuff on the internet now. Uh, but I've got I've got books at home in the little library beside where I work that's just loaded with uh, books with bird pictures, and uh, that's what I, you know, that's was what was my reference way back at the beginning. Plus, there were times I had opportunities um, to photograph live birds myself. Oh yeah! So I have binders full Nothing of like that. full of thirty-five millimeter slides uh, loaded with, uh, and it, I was I had some uh, aviculturalists that had some really great uh, birds. Uh, one fellow was specialized in in sea ducks and stuff, oh. and which are really difficult to find in captivity right and i had access to his aviary and uh when i was doing the research for my one pattern book which is sea ducks and mergansers yeah so i gathered all kinds of great images uh right in his aviary that's wild yeah, yeah. well and then that you know i remember uh the wild fowl carving book mm-hmm. would come all the time i would get it and there would always be a pattern they would always have one pattern in there or whatever that you could pull out and and use or whatever. But there was, you know, now there's so much and you can buy patterns of whatever you want to do. You can buy a pattern immediately. Wayne, yeah. is there something that that you look at or? Yeah, I well, I have a lot of frozen birds. Like I've been fortunate enough through my hunting career that gathered up a few specimens and and I done a fair bit of taxidermy too. So I do oh, my yeah. own taxidermy and you know Pat was talking about doing a. a clay mold and sometimes what i would do is actually mount the bird and the pose that i wanted to do perfect you can kind of work or work away with that you just got to be carefully with a mounted bird it's going to shrink and pull some feather grips so just be mindful of that um photographs are obviously a huge thing but you kind of mentioned about blowing a a photograph up and and creating a pattern from that you got to be really careful because it's most photographs are done at an oblique angle Right. So you're going to get distortion, or if the bird's twisted a little bit, the head's going to be a little bit larger than yep. the body, and so you just got to be. Really gonna, it careful. might it might be out of proportion a little bit, so you really have yeah. to be aware of that as yeah. you're as yeah. you're doing so I've stuff seen like guys, that. They'll sure. take a measurement of a bill and say, "Okay, I'm going to blow up uh, my wood duck photograph, so the bill's an inch and a three eighths long, and but the body's only going to end up being this long, and it's like I say, you just got to be careful when you're doing when that. You're doing that. You know, I'm I've drawn my own patterns, and like I say, just from frozen birds or you know been out on a hunting trip and, and come back and I got a nice fresh bird I'll, I'll sit down and sketch some stuff right from that 
that bird. I've got all my old DU magazines. I use. <laughs> you find a nice picture, picture of a bird. Sure. I would cut it out, and then I've got a folder for each species. species. This is kind of old school. No, but that's the a digital's filing. available. Yeah. But any picture that kind of captures your attention, because that's the spark you're looking for, a good profile, right. something that really grabs your attention. I'll yeah. clip it out, put it in there. Then when I'm doing a mallard, I pull out the mallard. Go through it. I just kind of look for inspiration. Yeah. In there. Sure. And and, and now you could have, you know, like, just like Tom was saying, I know I have a folder still in the, you know, in my cabinet that has some species, but then I have folders now on my hard drive of just all pictures on the computer. So I have it both. Yeah. So go ahead, Wayne. Yeah, I was going to say the other thing, too, is there's some great reference material for bills, like cast bills that are out there. Oh, either yeah. That's taxidermy supply house oh, yeah. or... There was some guys that were doing specifically for carvers, and to have that in front of you from like it's a casting from a fresh bird. That's right, a so, real bird. Yeah, so it's not shrunk the way a, a mounted bird might That's be right. if they're not using a cast head. You can absolutely use that kind yeah. of stuff. And There's you get no eye, eye placement, the distance between the eyes. You can get some really critical measurements right off that. Yeah, I mean you you can be you can be very efficient at not screwing up having those kind of measurements. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean, like. You know, listen, you know, making sure that your eyes on both sides are exactly where they should be. I mean, just little, I mean, I'm talking for people just starting. Like, yeah. that's, I remember just starting, and that was one of the hardest things. Like, that's not getting, easy. Yeah, getting no. it, ex I mean, you have to be, it is precise because if one's, you know, you, you and it's easy it's easy to convince yourself <laughs> that, that it looks after right. you've oh. put the effort into it you know you're uh. twisting it around yeah i think oh, the, i think the, i got the worst it thing it's not even close you're doing that and you're fighting for an hour and a half trying to get the eyes oh. straight and then your wife walks downstairs and said the eyes are crooked yeah <laughs> just like that dang it yeah yeah and you you were convinced it looked good and oh. she called yeah. you out in 20 oh. seconds yeah. you're like she, and, and she's not carving yeah. she just goes hey those are off and you walk back and you go no, yeah, my, yeah, my yeah they response are. Is, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, there's a ton of information we covered. I don't, I don't think there's anything we missed. If you guys have anything to add at the end, I mean, we covered front to back about carving, getting started. If you do carve, here's some helpful things. Like, and 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 feel free that you know anybody out there that you can 100. percent get a hold of any of these guys at any time Absolutely. or any carver near you that you think could be helpful and it's so easy now you know you make a post and you put up a video uh of you know whatever doing how doing to detail a, head, a bill like or how whatever to, yeah. and somebody has a question like and and throws it on your post and you go oh try this like that's instant like that doesn't like you know how crazy that is to be in that be that fortunate to get that information that quick because if i say oh hey tom uh what 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 should i do here oh just try this and i'm like holy crap like that was two minutes whereas like back in the day you'd be like pat you were talking about sending a letter to somebody and hoping you get something back yeah. like you know like the 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 pigeon took it over there and you know got it over <laughs> to his house and then the pigeon's coming back you know it's a month before you get an answer and you're sitting on you know doing a bird like this is instant information yeah. you know? and a lot of people don't have a carving club close to them and or, absolutely or people that they can carve and learn from so yeah no we are super a community handy. it's very far stretched but we're you're definitely a community all across north america 
and and the world. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, but I think if I can, in terms of material and everything else, just add one other thing, is that it doesn't matter if you're doing a, a gunning bird or a full decorative bird, don't cheap out on the eyes. You know, I see guys and they'll talk about That's spending hundreds of hours on on a bird, and then they put in a two dollar pair of eyes. You know, and it's it's something. It's the only piece that you can buy and use on and your piece and it adds so much life it's a big part of conveying life yeah, yeah. Oh, in, sure. in your carving yeah. that goes on the taxidermy side too because i don't know if you've ever seen like i always see it the worst time i see it is in the cats like when they do a cat oh, yeah. and they do like a bobcat he's kind of like winking at you and you're like yeah those are the wrong eyes i think bro i think you have goat eyes in that thing yeah like, yeah i think you got the wrong ones yeah no it's as as a judge i mean it's you look at a piece and it's like the guy put so much time and effort and into it. Crap eyes. And then crap eyes and then he leaves paint on the eyes. Oh Jesus. But, yeah, they wanted to save five or six bucks. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the difference between a, a good pair Nothing, of eyes right. and, a, and a cheap pair of eyes is maybe six dollars. Yeah. And I and I can say it, I think I'm worth the six bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I I think you are too, Wayne. <laughs> All right, listen, that's that's an incredible, incredible uh, amount of information from Wayne Simpkin, Pat Godden, Tom Christie. I'm just the moderator. Holy crap. <laughs> what an honor, fellas. Honest to God, like, this is cool. Uh, big shout-outs to Jamie Welsh, who could not be here. Yeah. Uh, and Jamie's another one you can get a hold of and talk to. He's down in South Carolina, and you could always get a hold of him or any of these guys, and hopefully that helps you out in your uh, – you know if you want to carve if you want to get started whatever this is a this is generational knowledge here that's years upon years i won't date anybody but we got a lot of info right here so use them use it appreciate you checking us out it's final approach